Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Our Father, we give you thanks for your holy written word. We know that we can trust our lives to its provisions. We know that it's been tested and tried, found good, trustworthy, faithful, and true. We thank you for ears to hear accurately what you have to say by your Spirit. We thank you for the Spirit to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness, and also for quickening us according unto thy word. As an act of our will, dear Father God, will be attentive and will not be distracted. And I personally thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of the word in the power of the Spirit, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Of course, Jesus said that each and every one of us is to follow Him. And of course, by that He meant that we are to live a life of self-denial. Deny ourselves. And of course, that's something each and every one of us really enjoys. We enjoy self-denial. I, I know you enjoy self-denial as much as I enjoy self-denial. I love self-denial. I absolutely love walking into a room of food when I'm starving and the aroma is absolutely fresh, just absolutely beautiful. And your mouth begins to water and all that. And I just love standing there and I just say, no, I will not eat. I absolutely will not eat. I will not touch any of this food because I love the life of self-denial. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I love giving, getting up every morning and just getting right into my prayer closet because I just love the life of self-denial. I do not want to smell the morning air and get out there in the warmth of the sun and, and enjoy the day. I just absolutely love the life of self-denial. When those disciples would not pray for one hour, they, they would not tarry for one hour in prayer. It's just because they don't love the life of self-denial. I do. I don't like to sleep. I never like to sleep. I'd rather stay up and, and stay awake and pray. I love to pray, see. And that's because I love the life of self-denial. Absolutely. When people get angry at me and upset with me and, and, and do all kinds of things and, and irritate me and, and all that, I, don't, I never like to retaliate. Never, ever, ever, ever. Because I love the life of self-denial. I don't have a right to respond in any improper manner. I don't, I don't have the feeling that I want to respond in, in, in any improper way because I love the life of self-denial. See, we love that life of self-denial, don't we? Hmm? What's the matter? You all couldn't wait to get here this morning because you love the life of self-denial. <laughs> yeah. 
I can tell by the look on your face. I mean, you know, everybody's just, just so excited. I mean, you're just so overjoyed in, in all that this morning. Amen. Do you love the life of self-denial like I do? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Come on now. If it's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, my spirit's always going to win out because I love the life of self-denial. Amen. My flesh has no control over my life, just like yours doesn't either. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad that we're following Jesus so closely that we love the life of self-denial? When somebody pulls out in front of you and you're driving your car down the road and then puts on the brakes, you just sit back with a smile on your face and you say, Jesus loves you and I love you. I'd like to meet you somewhere and talk to you in a real kind fashion about the love of God and the Bible and the Word of God. I just, you know, I'd like to give you a love gift or something like that. You wouldn't say, I'd like to knock you in the head. You would never do that because you like the life of self-denial, right? Absolutely. I thought you're just like me. <laughs> you just love that life of self-denial. Amen? Oh, my. No, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn about the life of self-denial. We're going to have to highly esteem the Word of God in verse 38. Because Jesus said that if we're ashamed of Him and His words, and we can't separate Jesus from His word, can't we? Because Jesus and His word are one. Even though my flesh doesn't always want to do what the word of God says to do in all situations, I end up doing it because I love the life of self-denial. See, What about you? You mean your flesh doesn't always want to do what the word of God says to do? You mean your emotional Makeup does not always want to do what the Word of God says to do. You see why we, are, we have to learn to live the life of self-denial and we must highly esteem the Word of God? Because everything within our physical and emotional makeup does not want to do what the Word of God says to do. Everything in our physical and emotional makeup does not want to respond to adverse circumstances the way the Word of God says to respond. Do you see that? And, you know, we war with this in different areas of our lives. For an example, and this is just a small example, I just began loving to pay my tithes. I just couldn't wait to pay my tithes. You know, people look at you and think because you're a minister now. When I first got saved, I wasn't a minister. I was not born with a suit on. I guarantee you that. Absolutely. Not with a halo around my head, over my head, and, and sprouting wings. I just wasn't born that way, see? And to be quite frank about it, when I heard, I'm going to tell off now, I see my dad back there. When I heard about my dad and my brother giving so much money to the church, I thought, now they've really gone off the deep end. They're ready for a psychiatric ward. They are really, they flipped out. They've become wild people. You know, they're giving their money to the church. Couldn't understand it. What is this business? They supposedly got saved or born again. All of a sudden, now they're giving all their money to the church. You're supposed to be paying your bills with that money. What are you doing? All these thoughts are going through, through, through my mind. Do you see? Well, when I first got saved, then, and then I began to find out what the Word of God said, yes, I immediately began to pay my tithes because I found out what the Word of God said, even though it meant denying 
myself and my family. Yes, the Christian life is one of self-denial. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to, to like in the flesh and in our emotions. And it doesn't always mean it's going to be from the point of reason, the right thing that we should be doing from reason standpoint. I mean, my goodness, you're going to give 10% of your income right now when you're really you're taxed already. I mean, everything's going to pay the, the gas bill, the electric bill, the, all the other water bill and sewage bill and, and the house mortgage and the car payment and all that. And you just get saved now. And it seems like God has placed a demand upon our lives. And now, of course, we've got to start doing all these different things, living a new kind of a lifestyle. Is it because we love the life of self-denial? Is it because our flesh... Wants to side with that? No. It's because of decisions that we make, beloved. Decisions that we make. We make decisions that we know are right based not on feeling, but based on what God said because we're not ashamed of Jesus or His Word. We do what the Word of God says even though our feelings are not always in line with what the Word of God says. Learning to live the life of self-denial to taking up our cross and following Him and doing His will means that we are going to have to change our mindset. We're going to have to have a different perspective and focus. And that's the third thing. Not only do we have to highly esteem the Word of God and live the life of self-denial, we're going to have to do something about our mindset. Hold your place there or put your marker there. We'll get back to it a little bit later. But look at Philippians chapter 2 with me, if you would please, and beginning at verse 5. One of the most difficult things to do in our Christian experience, is, is found in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. Don't turn to it. Find Philippians. I'll quote it to you. It says, While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, are subject to change, and the things that are not seen, the eternal, are not subject to change. It is the ability to begin seeing things that are not seen with the physical eye and focusing in on things that are not seen. With the physical eye. And seeing life from that perspective. It's called having the mind of Christ. Or his mindset. His perspective. Having his focus. We are following him in the life of self-denial. We're following him by taking up our cross daily. And of course highly esteeming the word of God. We are following him by having his same mindset. Our minds are set on things that are above, not on things that are upon this earth. We are beginning to see some things in the spiritual realm, even though those things are not as real to us as the things in the natural realm are. But we have realized this, the things in this natural realm in which we live, those things are subject to change. These things are not eternal. One day this whole system is going to be changed as a fire. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we know that. And some things that we hold so dear to our hearts, they're going to vanish with the using. They'll be gone, disappeared, out of here, forever. But yet, they affect our lives so much, they, they prevent us from releasing ourselves in faith and love and reaching out beyond this realm in which we live and getting a hold of the things that are eternal. And so you see, if we don't learn the life of self-denial... We're not, and if we don't hold the Word of God in high esteem, and if we don't do something about having a, a different perspective and also focus, having our minds set like Jesus' mind was set, then we're not going to have the ability to see those things that are not seen and let those things become more real to us and shape and, and mold our lives by them. 
So that's one of the most difficult things to do. Why? Because we're hemmed in by unbelief, because we're hemmed in by the emotional, physical desires that we have, which cause all kinds of upheaval when it comes to us believing God like we should. But if you want to know what the faith message is all about, 2 Corinthians 4.18 is a good place to look because that scripture tells us that this is what we are to do. We have to train ourselves or educate ourselves to do what? To have the ability to look beyond the natural into the supernatural, to have those things become more real to us than the things that we see. That's what the Christian life is all about. And beloved, it will not happen unless we have a proper focus or a proper perspective, a different mindset. And in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, it's called the mind of Christ or the kenosis of Christ. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you. Because we're following Jesus in the life of self-denial. We're taking up our cross daily. We're following Him in the life of self-denial. And we're esteeming God's Word more highly, regarding it more highly than what? Than our own physical and emotional desires and lusts. We are pursuing things that are spiritual more so than we are pursuing things that are carnal or natural or that are appealing to our flesh and emotions. Okay. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Then, of course, it talks about his exaltation. But first make note of this. It's talking about in these particular scriptures, the kenosis of Christ, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, which is from the Greek word K-E-N-O-O, which means to empty out. It means to drain. It's translated elsewhere to make void, to make of none effect, to be in vain. And in verse 7 here, it's translated more literally, he made himself of no reputation or he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And if Jesus is saying that we are to follow him in the life of self-denial, then what he's actually saying is we are to follow him in emptying ourselves of something to possess something else or to gain something else. To empty ourselves, just as he emptied himself to gain something else in our lives. This is the, the mind that we are to have. Well, what did Jesus empty himself of what was it make note of it number one his equality with God and the reason why I'm pointing this out first beloved is due to the fact that that Jesus had to give up from his let's say viewpoint a whole lot more than what we have to give up yes the Christian life is one of self-denial but Jesus set the example we're following His example. We're not asked to do something He didn't already do, that He hasn't already done. He already did this, and He's asking us to follow Him and trust Him. That in so doing, we will be rewarded now and also in the future. But I want us to see it from His, his perspective first and foremost, because He had a whole lot more to empty Himself of than what we have. He gave up, number one, he emptied himself of his equality with the Father God. He came to submit himself to his Father's will upon this earth. To be subordinate to him to do what he asked him to do. 
He says, I've not come to do my own will. I've come to do the will of him that sent me. Number two, he emptied himself of his God form to take on human form. He pre-existed with the Father as Christ. And of course, having a God form. But many fail to realize that the incarnation was a whole lot more than what we think. He emptied himself of his God form to take on human form, not for a period of 33 and a half years, but for an eternity. He took on that human form for an eternity. He became the God-man. It's called the hypostatic union. God and man. Not just a body prepared for use for a short period of time and that's it. No. But to leave that form, to take on the form of the human forever. To be identified with humanity and deity so as to reunite humanity with deity. That's called the hypostatic union, beloved. And that was a big step. For if he failed, God would have been defeated and man would have been doomed. But thank God he didn't fail. Amen. Also, the third thing he gave up was immortality of body. Because once he took on that human form and he came here in this realm of life in which we live, as you know as well as I do, he was then limited. Do you think about that? The one who created all things now becoming one who walks on his own creation. A part of his own creation. Limited by a human body, a physical body. Capable of becoming mortal. So he emptied himself of that. The next thing he gave up was, or emptied himself of, was the glory that he had with the Father. See, he's denying himself. He's denying himself. He's emptying himself of these things. To gain something else, of course, but he's emptying himself of these things. The glory that he had with the Father. He left it when he came to this realm of life. He also gave up his authority that he had in heaven and earth. For he came to this earth as a child, as a babe, and he had to learn through the scriptures who he was and what God would have him to do. So he gave up all that he had there with the Father from the very beginning. He also gave up his divine attributes and outward powers that he had with the Father when he was there with him. He gave up, he ended himself of those attributes and outward powers. See, the Bible says he did not do one miracle. See, that is seen because he did not do one miracle until when he was endued with power from on high. So he gave that up. And as I said again, not just for a short period of time, he gave that up. Knowing full well what he was doing, he gave it up. He emptied himself of all that because a man had to be responsible to redeem mankind. The God-man, Jesus Christ. So he gave that up. He emptied himself of that. Couldn't do one miracle. Didn't do one miracle until he was endued with power from on high. And you know what? These are his own words. I can, of mine own self, do nothing. I can, of mine own self, do nothing. But the Father in me, He doeth the works. Then it goes on to say that He humbled Himself. As a man, look at verse 8, And being found in the fashion as a man. Now the first part's talking about what He gave up, or how He entered Himself of all these things as being Christ. But then when he became a man, 
he also had to further humble himself and make another quality decision. And what was that? Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we see in the beginning he gave, he gave up, he emptied himself of everything for what purpose? From the divine form to take on human form. To change forms and become a man. But as a man, he further humbled himself for what purpose? To leave the state of being a sinless human or human perfection. To take upon himself the sin of the world. He ended himself of what he had with the Father, even in his relationship here upon the earth. For what purpose? To be identified with the sins of the world. To take it upon himself sinful and corrupt infamy. That's what he did. See, that's his example. And you think, well, why would he do all this? Why would he do all this? Because he had, because he had his sights set. He saw some things out there that he wanted to have happen. He knew the Father's plan. He knew the Father wanted a family. He knew mankind had to be redeemed. And he was the only one that can do the job. The only one qualified. And so he looked beyond what he saw in the natural to the spiritual realm and said, this is what I desire to have. And beloved, that's why he did all that he did. Because of his love for you and for me. But I want you to notice it was a life of humiliation. It was a life of self-denial that began when he made that first choice, that willful decision. And never forget that because decision is absolutely essential. We must decide to take up our cross. We must decide to deny ourselves. We must decide to follow Christ. It is not based on our feelings. It's not based on our emotional desires. It is based on a decision of the will. We choose to follow Him. We choose to do the will of God. And there was a time in Gethsemane when Jesus did not feel like going through with it. And if He had His own desire and way, He said, My will would be not to do this. In that form. But he said, not my will be done, thine be done. He was committed to the will of God regardless of feeling. He emptied himself of everything and anything called self-will for the purpose of what? Taking up his cross and going to the cross to die for lost mankind. Now let's go on back to, to Mark's Gospel chapter 8. Because now we can better see what he's talking about as far as we are concerned. The benefits of the gospel of Christ are experienced on the basis of personal choice and meeting certain conditions. They are not automatically attained or obtained. They're not magically obtained or attained in our lives. They come as a result of choice. And also meeting the conditions set forth by God. We must make a decision of the will to do what the Word of God says do. And that decision will not always be supported by feeling or even by emotion. But that decision is based on the will. 
We know what God said, and we know the consequence of not doing what God said. And therefore, even though our flesh may rebel, even though our emotional desires may rebel, we still choose to do what God said do. That's called the life of self-denial. That's called taking up our cross and following Jesus. That's called highly esteeming the Word of God, the will of God, the way of God, the purpose of God above anything we hold dear in this realm of life. That's called having a proper mindset, viewing life from a proper perspective, focusing in on spiritual things rather than temporal things that are subject to change. I want you to notice that even before Jesus said all this, look at verse 33, what he told Peter. Mark 8, 33. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying... Why did he rebuke Peter, saying? Well, because Peter was talking out of his emotion. He was talking out of his own wants. Jesus says, I have to die. And Peter said, not so, Lord. This will never be. No, this is what, we don't want this to happen. And he was speaking out of his own emotional desires and the things that he wanted. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And what he was saying was this. Your interest is not in the things of God. Your interest is in the things of men. Those who are looking out for personal gain, those who want what they want, those who are selfish, self-centered, self-willed, self-dependent, those who want things to go the way they want them to go, not the way God wants them to go. Your interest is not in the will of God. Your interest is not in the things of God. The interest that you're demonstrating right now is not in what God wants. And so, of course, Jesus, knowing where it came from, the influence that was there, rebuked Peter, but also saying, get thee behind me, Satan. You're not interested in the things of God. And that's why you're influencing men also not to be interested in the things of God. And then he goes and says to his disciples, now whosoever, in verse 34, will come after me, let him do what? Now notice again, the benefits of the gospel are experienced on the basis of personal choice and also meaning certain conditions. Never forget this. They're not automatically attained. They're not magically attained. But how? Personal choice and also meeting the conditions. And what are they? Number one, in this text right here that we have, number one, habitually following Christ regardless of the price, even unto death. Not only when it's popular, not only when it's easy, not only when it's convenient, but habitually following Christ, having our minds set on things above, mortifying the things that are upon the earth, habitually following the things of God, following Christ, even when it's not popular. Even when it's not convenient. Do you see that? See, very often we want it just to happen because we're going with the flow. Everything is going the right way. We're going with the flow. It's easy to follow Christ that way. But beloved, there, there always comes times of persecution. 
There always comes times of, of emotional upheaval. And the temptation is there to do what? Not to ha- follow Christ habitually in all that we do. And that's why Jesus is setting forth the conditions for discipleship. You want to be my follower and be guaranteed that I'm not ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father? Then make a practice of habitually following me. Regardless, as I said, whether it's easy, whether it's popular, convenient, it doesn't matter. Just train yourself to follow Him. Whether your emotions want to do it or not, whether your physical desires want to do it or not, it doesn't matter. How far? Unto death. Jesus set the example. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And when times of opposition and adversity came, He didn't buckle under and fold or faint in His mind. What did He do? Not my will be done, but thine be done. So number one, if we want to enjoy the benefits of the gospel, then we must habitually follow his example and do things the way he said do them. Whether it's popular, convenient, easy, under death, we made our decision. Our actions will be based more on decision than they will more on feeling and emotion, is what I want to say. Our actions... See, we love God, or we say we love God, but that statement is not based on our emotional feelings. That statement is based on personal choice and decision. I love you, Father God, is not based on how I feel. It is based on a decision that I made. I set my love upon you. I don't always feel like reading the Bible. I don't always feel like praying. I don't always feel like keeping your statutes, your laws, and your commandments. And if I went by my feelings, most of the time, then most of the time, I would not do what you said do. Can you say amen out there? But my love for you is not based on my feelings. My love for you is based on my personal choice. I made a decision to love you, Father God, and therefore will I act. See, love is based on decision and action. Then, of course, feeling will come later. But you see that point? I made a decision to follow Christ. You made a decision to follow Christ. And so we act. It's when we reverse that and our emotions get in the way, our physical desires get in the way, our physical pursuits get in the way, That we don't act right. And at that point, the heart begins to drift away from God. Point two. Daily deny yourself. Daily deny yourself. He said, let him, whoever's coming after me, that's number one, you're coming after me. Let him deny himself. We made a decision to follow Christ. That means we make now a decision to deny ourselves. We have to renounce, in other words, our own self-dependence. I can't just depend on who I am. I can't just depend on myself. God didn't make anything to be self-existent. Did you know that? Everything that He created in life depends on a higher form of life. We have a dependency. We depend on, whether we realize it or not, there will be a dependency. 
Well, we have to renounce self-dependence. I'm not depending upon myself. And so many are outside of the body of Christ right now because they're depending on themselves, their good works, their own ability to please God. We've got to renounce that. We all have to renounce that. But not just once. We must continue throughout the course of our lives. Because once again, when our emotions get in the way, you know what happens? We go back to living a life of self-dependence. And that's why Jesus said we've got to do what? Daily. Daily. Not just once, but daily. Live the life of self-denial. And that's why he went on to say here that if you're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're going to lose your life for my sake, then you're going to save it. In other words, just as he emptied himself of anything he wanted to pursue, as far as doing things his own way, we must empty ourselves of lower things. Look what he gave up. See, so often many Christians, I hear people say, I've got to give up so much. Look what Christ gave up. Dear God in heaven, look what Christ gave up, emptied himself of, to come here to this time of life and take on the form of us. Would you do that for him? He didn't ask us to do that for him. He asked us to give us our, us to give up our lower base pursuits. That's what he's saying. Not that, but these things down here. The things that we think are so appealing to us, the pursuits of personal gain. He says, if you gain the whole world, these things are temporal, subject to change. When that change occurs and takes place, then what? You have nothing. So in other words, he is saying, yes, deny yourself, renounce self-interests and self-pursuits that are outside of the will of God for our lives. And begin pursuing the right thing. Make right choices. Based on your personal decision. To follow Christ. Live the life of self-denial. And pursue the things that are above. The third thing he said. Is to take up your cross. And note this. This is a daily thing. Take up your cross. It's the daily cross. So often many think that. Well I'm a Christian now. I became a Christian way back when, I'm a Christian now, and that's all that's necessary. Well, beloved, in a sense that's true, you're still a Christian, but are you actively, day by day, daily, living the life of the cross, denying yourself, and then taking up your cross, which is the pursuit of the will of God for your life on a day by day basis? Which is the will of God for us to walk in love and make right decisions on a day-by-day basis to serve Him. To do those things that are well-pleasing in His sight on a day-by-day basis. And when our emotional desires get in the way, as I said to you, Oh, I just love getting up in the morning and the first thing that I do is to drop to my knees or find a prayer closet somewhere. And if I smell the aroma of food, oh, no, I love the life of self-denial. I never want to eat. And when my wife makes my favorite dish, it will never touch my lips. It will never, never hit my teeth. See, beloved, I know sometimes it's comical, but you know what? The point being made is this. It is easy for the heart to drift away from God. It is easy to give up the lifestyle of prayer and study of the Bible, the Word of God. It is easy for us to cave in, faint in our minds, and and gravitate towards what this man on the outside wants to do. 
And then, of course, when we realize that there's balance, there's always a tendency to go to the other side. You can have that in moderation. Why is it that we use that to excuse, make excuses to continue gratifying our own pleasures, physical and emotional? See, what God is saying, it's a day-by-day decision. Because every day, as Paul said, I die daily. Every single day, I've got to put under the, 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 the desires of my flesh and my emotions because they rebel against the will of God for my life. So daily, he says, daily take up your cross, not just for a while. There are those who think they made the decision years ago. Now it doesn't matter what's going on today. Well, it does matter what's going on today, beloved, because this life of Christ is one unto death. It's a marriage between ourselves and Christ, and it's unto death. It's all the way. We are going to be challenged. We are going to have opposition in this physical realm of life in which we live to get us to gravitate toward those things and to drift away from, from, the, from the life of God and from the pursuit of Christ and the things of God. Then the next thing he says is that we are to hold God's word in high esteem in verse 38. In other words, our interest should not be in self wants and desires, but our interest should be in what the word of God says is good for our lives. And that's why he says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of my word, but see to it that you hold my word in high esteem. See to it that you act according to my word, even though that part of you called self does not want to hold to it. Why do you think the Bible says, hold fast that which thou hast? Have you gained anything in spiritual things? And if you have had some gain in spiritual things, he's saying, hold fast to it. Why? Because if you don't hold fast to it, the spirit of this age and your emotional lusts and desires influenced by the unseen forces of darkness will do what? Encourage you to let it slip little by little in a very subtle way and let go. And then you'll begin to drift back away. And your heart will be in the wrong place before God. I want you to turn with me to the 51st Psalm. And I want to show you that this is true and that nobody is exempt concerning every one of us. It's true concerning all of our lives. Even those that we consider to be stalwart Christian or believers in the Bible. Those who walked uprightly before God. Even the one who was called to be a man after God's own heart was not exempt at all from having his heart drift away from God. Why? Beloved, make note of it. I'll tell you why David's heart life slipped. Because he stopped living the life of self-denial and started living the life of self-indulgence. He stopped living a life that regarded and esteemed the Word of God highly and started living a life that says, if it feels good, do it. He stopped pursuing on a day-by-day basis that which pleased God and started pursuing on a day-by-day basis that which pleased David. And when he did, he found himself in a whole heap of trouble. David was said to be a man after God's own heart. But his heart began to drift away when he left the things of God and took interest in pursuing that which was pleasing to himself. You go back and you look at the recordings of David's life and from a youth, I mean, this man was a man of faith and power. As a boy, as a child, he can do battle with a Goliath and kill a lion and a bear. Had no power 
over him. And there a whole army, the Israeli, entire Israeli army could not persuade him not to stand up against the giant because he knew his God. Saul himself, the great mighty Saul, could not persuade him to even use his armor. I will not trust in that which I have not proven. I trust in the one that I have proven. I will go forth in the power of the name of the Lord of hosts. And as he delivered me out of the hand of the lion of the bear, so shall he deliver me out of the hand of this enemy of God, this Philistine. David was a man after God's own heart. God was well pleased with him, well pleased with his life. His interest was in the things of God. While his brothers were off doing their own thing, fulfilling their own physical, sensual desires, David was following God. David was pursuing Him. He was studying the Word of God. He was becoming intimate with God. He began to know Him in a personal way, in such a way that God could actually say, This one is a man after my own heart. For I look not on the outward appearance of things, but God looketh upon the heart, and this man's heart is upright before me. But, beloved, it was not very long Oh, yes, in terms of years it was, but, but of course, when you think about it, what is the length of a person's life? It's so quick. It wasn't very long before his heart began to drift away. His interests began to change. His pursuits began to change. And it's not something that just snaps, happens just like that. What happened? It's a subtle thing. Little by little, the spirit of this age begins to creep in. Little by little. We prayed a little bit yesterday, but you know, it's a little harder today. We'll just do a little bit today. I read the Bible a little bit yesterday. Today I'll do a little bit. Oh, I've been going to church now for how many years? Three times a week. And all of a sudden we begin to drift away just a little bit. I used to tell people about Jesus and there was an opportunity. But now, well, you know, I did it before, but I don't know. Who's going to listen to me now? Why should I even try? Little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, we lose the enthusiasm, we lose the zeal, we lose the fervor, the fire. Little bit by little bit, subtle in a subtle way. And then, lo and behold, we don't realize what we're doing and things we are capable of doing, even as believers. David found himself lusting after his flesh. David found himself committing adultery. David found himself, David, this man after God's own heart, found himself in deceit, lying to cover up what he had done. David found himself committing murder, although he didn't think he committed murder, but he found himself involved in, in sending forth the word to commit murder. And finally, David found himself in another lie or deceitful thing, covering up his sin and all that he had done wrong. By marrying her. And then he dusted off his clothes. Real nice way. And you know clean on the outside. Unclean on the inside. Thinking that. Mm, deceived and deluded into thinking that. I'm okay. Whew. The heat's off now. It's okay. I'm married to her. Doesn't matter if she has a child. Her husband's dead. This is all legitimate. This is all legal. It's fine. Until one day Nathan got a hold of him. You see, beloved, if a person stays that way, a person will be lost eternally. Did you hear that? That is the very 
objective of the devil is to see to it that he can get anybody he can to walk away from God as far as he can to finally cut him off eternally. And beloved, that's why Nathan had to come forth in the power of the Spirit and begin to expose David to himself. And he had to use an illustration because David was not in a place to see where he was at spiritually himself. You see how subtle this is? You see how easy it is for the heart to drift away from God and not even know it, not even realize it, and then get caught up in sin like David did and then cover it up and think it's okay. It's okay because God loves me. It's okay. It wasn't okay, David. And that's why God said through Nathan, listen, it's not okay. And when David pronounced judgment upon this man that took the one man's sheep, what did he say? That man should be killed and that wasn't even the law. David was so upset, such a rage and so full of wrath. He said, kill this guy. Deserves to die. And the Nathan says, you are the man, O king. He pronounced his own judgment. And boom, it hit him, shocked him back into reality. He found out where his heart was really at. And when he did, he trembled. He trembled. But I'm saying that he got to that point in a subtle way because little by little over the years he drifted away from God his heart drifted away from God like I said stop the fasting a little bit stop the praying a little bit stop the church going stop all these positive things that really represent our Christian experience daily taking up that cross daily walking in love daily doing the things to nurture our spiritual growth and development he stopped all that and the heart drifts the other way that's called backsliding because it's called going back and beloved, when he finally realized where he was at, he realized his condition. He saw his heart exposed in the open light of day. What happened? That's why we turn to the 51st Psalm. Because this is what he said. Right here. And I'm bringing it out because no matter where we're at, I want you to understand the mercy and the loving kindness of God. Also, I'm bringing this out for future reference because it may not be... Be that effective in reaching you right now where you're at because you can say, well, I'm, everything is intact. But you may down the road somewhere, let's say, let's put it this way. I'm saying it now for you to prevent you from being down the road somewhere so that you don't get to the place that David did. But if you find yourself in a position that you've drifted away from God, this is the way back to God. Thank God for his loving kindness and tender mercies. Here's what David did. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. He right, right away quickly calls out for mercy based on the loving kindness of God. Why did he do that? Because he knew this. He knew that mercy means not receiving something that you do deserve. And he deserved to die. He deserved, he pronounced his own judgment, he deserved to die for what he had done. And yes, he was going to reap the results of what he had done because what he sowed he was about to reap now. But rather than losing out totally with God... He cries out for mercy and he knew that what God forgave, God would forget and put back in the sea of forgetfulness and restore to him the joy of his salvation. But now listen, he knew what to do because he knew God. He had some things in him. Many are not there. Many don't know what to do and how to get back in the right standing with God and have restoration take, take place. Well, this is the way. He called upon the mercy of God. He called upon the loving kindness of God according to the multitude of your mercies that are tender. And thank God, beloved, thank God that He is tender in mercies. Aren't you glad for that? Oh, I'm so glad for that. Because if it was based on human mercy, beloved, we don't always get what God gives. 
And we don't always give mercy to one another as God gives. It's based on the tender mercies of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm saying we don't always do that. But it's based on the tender mercies of God. Wash me thoroughly, truly thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It was there, it was covered up. But once fully exposed, he couldn't even begin to describe the upheaval and the torment that he had within himself. The struggle, the fight, the warfare. The Bible says when we walk in darkness, beloved, we know not whither we goeth. We don't know where we're going. He said, I'm a child of God. Yes, but he said, if you walk in darkness, you don't know where you're going. Darkness is a terrible thing. We don't know where we're going. We're confused. We don't know which way to go, which way to turn. Why? Because something is happening that is interfering with the intimacy that we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And we don't know where we're going. He didn't. And all it was causing upheaval. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me against thee. The only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin, in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest. He knew the desire of God. See, David knew the desire of God. And what was the desire of God? You desire truth in the inward parts. God desires truth. To be lodged within our inward parts. Why? Because when truth is lodged in the inward parts, it will always surface. We'll draw from that truth. We'll walk in that truth. We're sanctified by the truth. We're set apart by the truth. And the word is truth. And Jesus said, don't disregard my words. Because when your feelings let you down, when your emotions tell you to go this way, don't disregard my word because my word is truth. And God desires truth. To be found within the inward parts of a man. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And so he begins to cry out, purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. And of course, that's the step of confession and restoration. Two steps there. Confession, I acknowledge what I've done. I've, I've allowed myself to drift away from you and I got caught up in all this wrongdoing and evil in your sight. And he cries out for mercy and restoration. Cleanse me as only you can and make me whole as only you can once again. You desire truth in the inward parts and I have not walked in that truth. And see, he recognized that my heart was, in other words, my heart was not right after you. Although he was called a man after God's own heart, his heart at that point was not right with God. He was not walking in truth within his inward parts. Now this is the point I wanted to get to. Because this is the cry of the heart. David's cry out of his heart, out of his spirit. Something more. He needed something more. Although he was now receiving his forgiveness and cleansing. Are you ready for this? Beloved, make note of this. In this next verse, verse 10. Create. Create in me. A clean heart. Now notice this. The word create here means he's asking for nothing less than a miracle. Because this is a term for what God alone, that's used for what God alone can do. It's a term that, that expresses only something that God can do. Create. Create. When we're dealing with the heart of a man and we use the term of the word create, beloved man stands impotent. 
He is helpless. He is bankrupt. He can't do anything. David was bankrupt. What David needed, he could not receive through himself, by himself, or from anybody else. He says, create. It's a term used to express what only God can do. Only you can do this. I have a dilemma, and only you can do it. Create in me. Create in me. What does he want created in him? A clean heart. A pure heart. The truth of your word lodged in my heart, prompting me to do all that I do. I want that clean heart. See, he missed out on that. He knew where he was lacking. He was a man after God's own heart. But he began to allow that heart toward God, drift away from God, and become contaminated with selfishness and self-indulgence and all these other things. So he says, create in me a new heart. Now notice the latter part. And renew a right spirit. And underline that word right spirit there. Underline that phrase or expression. And what it's talking about is a steadfast spirit. See, nothing that God makes is self-existent. He knew that he needed more than just the forgiveness of sin and a clean heart. He knew that there was still a lack of spiritual initiative. He knew that although I'm forgiven now, although I'm cleansed now, I still now need a renewed spirit, a steadfast spirit, a constant spirit. I need a work of your spirit upon my spirit. To put within me once again a renewed initiative to pursue the things of God. And oh, beloved, we believe in the power of God to heal the physical body. How many of you believe that? But this is the action of the power of God upon the human spirit and soul. Did you know that? It is the action of the spirit and word of God upon the human spirit and soul. It's the seal of God once again. It's a rekindling. Of that initiative, that drive from within to, to keep a, or to maintain a steadfast spirit in the things of God. I don't know about you, but I know how my flesh is. And if I yielded to my flesh totally, it would always want to gravitate toward the things of this world and this world system. Wouldn't yours? And I don't have any different flesh than what you have. I'm talking about living a life independent of God. It's just, it's just, that's just the way the flesh is. And so he knew the need to have renewed within himself a steadfast spirit that would be constant in the things of God. Daily. Take up your cross day by day, by day by day. Commitment unto the end, unto death. Obedient unto death. Not obedient for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, but obedient unto death. Renew this right spirit, this steadfast spirit within me, O Lord. And once again, that, that initiative came back, the enthusiasm came back, the zeal came back. See, he recognized it was his fault, but he knew how to get it all rectified and taken care of. He had to have a clean heart, pure from all the sin that he had committed, but also, secondly, renewed a right spirit within him. One that would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the things of God. And you see, beloved, that comes from God alone. We don't, we don't create that in our own selves. It, it doesn't come by ourselves. 
When we get born again, the life of God comes into us. And God pours it out into our spirit and then we act upon that. And as we begin to pursue those things because of that experience, see, it just builds. But beloved, when we begin to push those things down and push them aside and drift away, what happens to us is what happened to David. It's easier not to obey God the next time. It's easier not to do the things that we were once doing so with such enthusiasm you know, for God. And we find ourselves in that place, beloved. Once again, this is the only way out. We've got to turn to Him because only He can deal with us in this fashion. And if you go on and you read the rest of it, you just find out that He is saying, Cast me not away from thy presence. Why would He say that? Because He was afraid of it. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why was He afraid of that? Because He knew it happened to Saul. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He lost the joy of His salvation, which was His fortified place. He knew all these things would go with it. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Oh, how he missed out on that. How he had a longing once again to flow with the spirit of God like he once did. There's freedom in the spirit. And he knew that. And he wanted to experience it once again. Beloved, when you know God that way, when you're led by the Spirit of God that way, and then you begin to lose out and you don't have that free spirit leading, guiding, and directing because of things that we've done to push Him out, there becomes that longing once again. Yes, I want to flow with the things of God like I once did freely. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.